Amen. That went a whole lot better than it did in the first service this morning. And uh, Pastor threw some, some newer songs, not new songs, but songs that we haven't done in a really, really long time uh, that just have a great message. And so I'm so glad that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, and that, you know, as much as the world changes around us, you can always count on Jesus being just right there the same as he's always been. And the same that he always will be. And so praise the Lord for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter number 18. It's rare that we would only start with just one verse, but that's what we're going to do this morning. I've been preaching the last, this is the third Sunday on why church? Why is this important? Why did God give us the church? What does God expect from it? And what does he plan to do with it in our lives? Uh, and so certainly not exhaustive in what we've tried to cover in this series, but just giving some, uh, just some, some basic things about the church and what God has given us here. Uh, I have preached from this text in this series already, and that's why we're just going to kind of focus in on this one verse as we get started. And I'm going to make a statement, and then we're going to look at the context and the application of that context uh, as we move into uh, this final message this morning. But if you look here, Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Amen. And I'm going to speak to you this morning on the church attended by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, Lord, again, your precious word. Thank you for the security that we have in knowing that though the world crumble around us, you're the same. Lord, I pray that you would help us to open our hearts this morning. I pray that you'd help us to set aside the clutter in our minds that we might be able to focus and attend to what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you'd use this to speak to our hearts, to strengthen our faith, to challenge and encourage us. And Lord, I pray that you would do the work in each life that needs to be done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The commentator John Phillips said, Christ, in regards to this passage, Christ has pledged that he will be present whenever the members of a local church meet. There is no meeting at which he is not present. It is this divine presence that endows the church with its unique, with its unique dignity. How gracious, how glorious that the creator of the universe, the risen Christ of Calvary, gathers with his people, be they many or few. Isn't it a comfort to know that whether we are uh, assembled in a mega church or if we're assembled in a large church or a small church like ours, uh, that Jesus has promised that he would be here. Uh, that he's promised to meet with us. And uh, sometimes I think we know that, but we then take it for granted. We don't really uh, allow ourselves to kind of absorb all that that statement means. When we look at the context of this verse and how it's given, it is, uh, it is basically Jesus putting his stamp of approval uh, on the authority that he's given to the church. In the context here of this passage, he's dealing with a difficult subject in church discipline. And he's preparing them for the church that he would establish and give and that you see emerge in the book of Acts. And, uh, and there, there are problems throughout the, the Pauline epistles within the churches. And in those problems, there are times when the church body, for the sake of unity, has to exercise discipline 
over a member of the church. In other words, uh, the, the procedure would be if someone's involved in a, uh, of a sin, particularly an immoral sin, uh, or something that's causing disunity, or someone's teaching false doctrine in the church, then they would be approached, and uh, if they repented and they responded correctly, all was, done, all was corrected and, and everything went back on track. If they would not respond, then uh, another attempt was made to communicate that message with uh, the pastor and another deacon or two, preferably, uh, but to go and establish that, that this is what actually was said and what was actually shared. And at that point, if they refused, then they were to be removed from the church. Now, in the day and age in which we live, uh, church discipline really has lost its teeth in the minds of people in the sense that a lot of people just hop from church to church anyway. You know, if, if the pastor preaches something that they don't like or uh, approaches a subject that they're not comfortable with or uh, if, uh, if they uh, get convicted and they don't want to respond to the Holy Spirit, then after a while they just move on to where it's more comfortable, where they feel good. And there's plenty of churches that you can go to if what you're looking for is a motivational pep talk. Uh, that's really not church. Uh, it's an assembly, but it's a gathering, but it's not church. And that's not what church really is. Uh, and so that's the, the procedure. Uh, and so the reality is, is that when a church binds that kind of a decision, whether someone stays or goes, uh, that decision of the church stays with them. In other words, someone uh, in our culture today, uh, let's say, you know, the church, we disciplined Miss Nadine from the church this morning. She's hardened. Uh, she's, she's a reprobate. She won't comply. She won't repent. Uh, and so, and I'm just telling you this morning, if you ever see Miss Nadine hit the altar, praise God because revival's coming. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, and if we went down that process and she gets mad and just says, well, pastor, I don't need you in this church anyway. I'll just go to another one. What I'm saying is, is that God still is going to bind what the church is bound. If it's led by God, if it's in accordance to Bible principle, then the church has that authority. Now I want you to, understanding that, uh, consider the context this morning. Because I don't want you to feel as if I took this verse and did not do justice to the context here. This is not a message about church discipline. This is, uh, but we have to establish the context here for us to understand what he's saying. So he goes through beginning in verse 15 and tells them that if a brother trespasses against thee, go and tell him the fault. Uh, and then if he neglects to hear you in verse 17, tell it to the church. And then uh, he continues on. Notice in verse 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. And you see this in practice in the New Testament church uh, in Corinthians uh, and a couple of different places in the Pauline epistles where they have someone that they have to discipline and then later on they're restored. Uh, and they weren't always restored, but there are some who were and some who were not. But they were bound whenever that was bound. And when they were restored, then it was loosed uh, or it was removed. They were welcomed back into the fellowship. Verse 19, and again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And what you see here actually is the authority of the church. Now, the, the way that we react to things, uh, there, there are churches that, uh, that, you know, ecclesiastically have taken the authority of the church to supersede the authority of God. Uh, there are entire denominations 
their entire faith. Some of them consider themselves to be Christian, and, and, I, and I, would, I would argue that point. Uh, but they would say that if uh, uh, the, the leadership of that church decrees something, then that is from God. It, it's more, it supersedes what the Bible says. The problem with that is, is that then man becomes God. And God does not give us that authority. God is the authority. The word of God as it's presented is the authority. Jesus is the authority. So we cannot misappropriate that. that. Whether we like it or not, and whether it's been abused or not in the past or in this day and age by some, the church has been given the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to interact, to share the gospel. It's been entrusted to our care to develop and nurture the faith and the development of believers in Christ that they might become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the context here. The application is, is that the presence of Jesus validates the authority and binds the decisions of the church. So it's, the, it's, it's his validity. It's validated by his presence. So when he says here, that for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That when we gather in the name of Christ, that when we come together in his name, and when we are following his doctrine, and we are guided by his presence, not to the whims of men, not to the vision of men, but the vision of Christ, as he's given it in his word and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, then that's authoritative. I listen, the only authority that I have as a pastor is if I follow the, the Holy Spirit's leading. I can sit in my office and I can dream up things to preach or dream up things for the church to do. That's not of God. Jesus isn't a part of that. But when I go to the Lord in prayer as a pastor and God gives clear indication through the leading of the Spirit in his word that this is the direction for us to go, then that's authoritative. Because Jesus is the authority. I'm the under-shepherd, he is the shepherd. I'm not the head of the church, Jesus is the head of the church. And we see that here, and if you, would, uh, you want to hold your place there, you can. Uh, but go with me to Ephesians, and we're not going to move as, around as much today as we have the last couple of weeks, but we are uh, going to jump around a little bit this morning. Uh, but in Ephesians chapter number 1, uh, when we come here, uh, we see him talking about this in verse 22 and 23 when he says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So in this verse, God is exalting Jesus to be the head of the body and to be the head of uh, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 uh, and verse 23, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And Colossians chapter 1, uh, and, or excuse me, back up to verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, and verse number 18, uh, he states it again when he says, And he, Jesus, is the head of all of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. In all things, Jesus is preeminent. In all things, listen, I've, I've been in churches a lot of times where you would go and never even hear the name of Jesus. 
You heard a lot about God, but you never heard the word of, uh, you rarely heard uh, the name Jesus. And listen, Jesus is to be lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Uh, and so Jesus is to be exalted. And in so doing, uh, through the moving of the Holy Spirit and the exalting of Christ, we glorify God, our Father, which is in heaven. And so he lays this out here that Jesus, the head of the church, uh, that God is glorified in the church. And, uh, and that's made manifest whenever we understand that our lives are to glorify God personally. Jesus is a personal Savior. Salvation is personal in nature. I cannot choose to be saved for you or for my wife or for my children or grandchildren. I, they, everyone has to choose for themselves whether they will accept or reject salvation and forgiveness of sin in Christ Jesus. Now, it's personal. Jesus is a personal Savior. He interacts with us on a personal level. He says here, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there will I be. He's not delegating this out. He didn't say, I'll send an angel. He didn't say, I'll send some other representative. He didn't say that it's all on the shoulders of the church leadership, humanly speaking. He said, when you gather in my name, I'm present. I'll be there with you. I come with you and, or, and engage in worship with you. And so we see that our lives are to glorify God personally, just like we're to lift up Jesus personally. Worship corporately within the church begins with personal worship when we come united and right with God and assemble having worshiped God, that we then worship God together corporately, which means that our lives are to glorify God uh, publicly. Why the church? Well, he commanded it, who ordained it, and we're going to review just a little bit the last two Sundays, uh, and so that we're all on the same page and the same wavelength here uh, in just a moment. Uh, but we are, to, we are to glorify God publicly. Our public worship should glorify God. How do we do that? By lifting high the name of Jesus. Amen. By allowing the Spirit of God to work within us. And so we are to glorify God publicly. Then we're to glorify God perpetually. It shouldn't be an a up and down thing. A Christian life is not a life that God intended to be. Uh, okay, today I'm, I'm devoted to Christ and tomorrow I'm devoted to uh, my, my family or my job or myself. No, it's always Jesus first. That in all things he might have the preeminence. That he is the preeminent or the predominant or the main focus of every avenue and day of our life and we're to glorify him perpetually every day. It's not just about glorifying God at a church service. It's about glorifying God at the breakfast table and glorifying God at the restaurant and glorifying God on the job and glorifying God in the, in the supermarket and glorifying God at the gas station. Wherever you go, wherever, whatever we do, however we interact, we are to be perpetually glorifying our God. We've seen over the last couple of weeks that the church is a gift from God. And in giving us the gift of the church, he gave us the gift of compassion. Compassion in the sense of that Jesus not only sees our need, but he gives us a solution for that need. He sees the problem, he solves the problem. He's, got, he's given us that avenue uh, and he makes that manifest through the church. He's also made the church uh, a way in which he's given us the gift of correction. And believe it or not, correction is a gift from God. When you correct your children, you're expressing love to them. And by a matter of fact, the Bible says that a father that does not correct his child hates his child. You're setting them up for a miserable life and a miserable outcome. Discipline 
is important and structure is important and guidance is important and it's no less important in the Christian life uh, for all of us as we come together. Sometimes uh, that doesn't feel like love. Sometimes that feels oppressive or sometimes that feels uh, it, it, it can be easily interpreted as something else if it's not properly con communicated but it is given as a blessing or a gift of correction. It is a, it is a gift of commencement. It's a place of beginning. To begin the Christian life, to begin uh, a new walk with God whenever we stumbled and fallen and we get back on track. So we saw in that first message that the church is God's gift to us. And last week we looked and saw that the church has been commissioned by God. And we understand the great commission, but what we fail to understand oftentimes is that we can never fulfill the great commission if we fail uh, to obey the other things that he has commissioned that lead us to that. And so we have been commissioned by God, we saw, to assemble. We're not assembled this morning because Jesus has no place better to be and we don't have anything better to do with our time. He has commanded us to come together to worship and glorify God, to edify and encourage one another, uh, to learn the truths of his word, to have the Lord an opportunity to work in our hearts and to change and transform us into who he would have us to be. Uh, and so we saw that we are uh, commissioned to assemble. Then we saw that we were, that we were commissioned to adopt his nature. My nature is a new nature. I shouldn't be the same me now that I was many years ago when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. The moment that I trusted Jesus, I began a new journey, a new path, uh, and a new nature was growing and developing in me. And so that's part of the commission. We, of course, are commissioned to advance the gospel. Uh, but I cannot advance the gospel uh, if I am not uh, advancing or adopting his nature. And I'm not likely to adopt his nature if I'm not assembled with his people where I'm encouraged and where I'm taught uh, the truths of the word of God. I'm not saying that we can't learn at home. I'm saying that I cannot, uh, I cannot be obedient to God and have God's blessing and favor if I am rejecting his command to assemble. Uh, and so uh, we have to understand that these things are things that Jesus has set forth that he has commanded of us. Now let's consider Jesus' attendance. And I'm saying this morning that Jesus is in attendance with us, but I'm also saying that Jesus attends to everything that this church needs as we move forward. We're going to define the word attend here uh, because it's crucial that we understand this to make application to uh, the message. The word attend means to listen or to regard with attention. And so uh, ladies are elbowing husbands everywhere right now uh, because they want desperately for their husband not to just hear the words that they say but or to realize that they're talking but to actually listen to what they're saying. Uh, and so in Psalm 86, uh, in verse number 6, David wrote, uh, Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplication. In Psalm 66, in verse number 19, he said, But verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. And so when we talk about attending, attending or attending to, we're talking about listening. We're talking about regarding with attention. We're talking about to regard with observation and with correspondent practice. In other words, when we interact uh, or when we, when we hear, when we attend, we're interacting. I cannot just be a bystander. Jeez, I cannot do that uh, remotely. 
And I understand that we have people this morning that for health reasons and for safety's sake need to assemble remotely. I'm not, uh, that's not intended to be a, a jab at anybody that uh, is protecting themselves this morning. What I am saying is, is that we have to have and get to the place in our life where we understand and realize uh, that, that I, to, to attend is to interact. It is to be a part of one's life. And so when Jesus says uh, that I'm there in the midst of you, he's not just here sitting in the corner uh, just observing. He's a participant. He's engaging with you. He's engaging with me as I allow him to. And so it is to regard with observation and with correspondent practice. It also means to fix attention upon as an object of pursuit. It is that Jesus, listen, Jesus pursued us. We're not here. We did not find him by happenstance. We did not find the gospel. We did not find the grace of God. We did not find his forgiveness and his conviction uh, accidentally. God is at work in the hearts of men. He is in pursuit of you. Jesus said, I am come to save sinners. Uh, I, I came, uh, and Paul wrote that Jesus was come to save sinners of whom he was chief. And Jesus said he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek you. He came to save you. He came to seek me. He came to save me. He wants that in our lives. And so Jesus uh, is, uh, is uh, fixing his attention upon us, and we are the object of his pursuit. And it means to be busy or engaged in. So when we talk about attention, it means that I'm hearing but I'm not just hearing the words, I'm hearing actually what's being said. And I'm processing that, and I'm absorbing that, and I am observant, and then I'm in correspondence practicing what's necessarily going on. In other words, uh, if Jesus uh, is worshiping with us as we worship our Father. And Jesus is working in the heart. The Holy Spirit is the sealer of our salvation. He is moved with us. He's our indweller. He's with us everywhere that we go all the time. And yes, we can come to the throne of Christ at any time. But it's the Holy Spirit that goes with us from day to day and that leads and guides. But when we come here assembled as the body of Christ, Jesus is present. And it's the place that we come, where we come together as a group, as a church, where the Holy Spirit comes in with each one of us, and Jesus meets with us as we exalt and then commune with our Father in heaven. So we are actually interacting at every time that we assemble with the Godhead in its entirety. God wants the church to be a powerful entity in our lives. Not because he wants uh, people in it to have, a th have rule over our lives or to dictate our lives, but, but it's where we come together if our hearts are united by the gospel and we're all in fellowship with our Savior and we're all following the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit where Jesus comes and meets with us and where God is exalted. That means that he's engaged in worship with us. He's engaged in the messages it's preached. He's engaged in his word as it comes forth. Jesus is the word. I'm preaching to you Jesus. He said, I am uh, the, the, the word. I am uh, everything about it is me. Uh, and so it's Jesus in print. And the Holy Spirit within us is convicting and convincing us uh, of its truths and of our sin. And then God the Father is exalted. 
So when we consider these aspects of what it means to attend, consider these three thoughts this morning uh, as we, as we uh, look at the thought that Jesus is with us. Number one this morning, I would say that Jesus attends the assembled church. Jesus attends the assembled church. His attendance, first of all, this morning is personal. It's not, uh, it, it's, as I stated before, it's not something that, uh, that he farmed out. It's not something that he, uh, that he delegated. He didn't send an angel on his behalf. Uh, he said, uh, I'm here. Not only is his attendance personal this morning, his, 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 that means he, he cares personally about you. You know, I'm preaching to everyone in the room. But Jesus is preaching to you. The Holy Spirit is working in the individual heart. You know, so many times you, I, people will come to their pastor, and it's not just here, it's every church I've ever been a part of. And there have been times when all of us sat in the service, if our hearts were right and seeking truth, where we would have to say that it just seemed like uh, that, that the, somebody spied on me this week and slipped the pastor the sermon. They wrote it. They, they, sat on, they sat in a chair in my living room, incognito. They wrote this and they gave it to the pastor to preach to me today. Uh, the reason that that's true is because Jesus is personally working in your life. The Holy Spirit is, is personally within us. He's interacting. He's part of the process. He's here with us as we worship God and as we learn his word. Personally, he's speaking to you this morning. Not only is his attendance personal, but his attendance is purposeful. He's here for a reason. You know, there are a lot of people that come to church for a lot of different reasons. Some people come simply because they just haven't been in a while and they feel like it's something that they need to do. Some people come because it makes them feel like they're a good person. Some people come because it makes them feel like uh, even if they have no intention of allowing God to change anything in their life, that somehow they found some measure of atonement. Some people attend churches, particularly large churches, simply to build a network for their business. It's a good place to meet a lot of people in a short amount of time. And so they can get in and they can uh, get into smaller groups and they can begin to network and build a lot of relationships that they hope are going to parlay into business for them. Some people come to church because they know, know that they're missing something. They're not really sure what it is, but they come looking. That, that's a good reason to come. The other things, not so much, but that's a good reason. Some people come because they're seeking truth. On more than one occasion in the last eight years, I've had someone come in and say, you know, Pastor, I was going here or I was watching this or I was doing that. But, <clears throat> but after a while, it just was like there wasn't anything substantively there. You know, it was great whenever they were a brand new believer or when they first came back to church. But after a relatively short amount of time, they outgrew what the message consistently was where they were and they began to look for something uh, where they would be taught a little bit uh, more in depth uh, and where there was consistency with the word of God to the lives that were lived and the message that was preached. What I'm saying this morning is that Jesus has a purpose. His purpose is to meet with us. Some people have the purpose of just fellowship and communion with God. Wonderful purpose. Jesus come, came today for the purpose of worshiping with you, fellowshipping with you, instructing you, communing with you, letting you communicate with him on a regular basis. It's wonderful that we can go boldly to the throne of grace anytime we choose, but isn't it also wonderful that when we assemble in his name that he comes to us, that he meets with us, 
that he walks into the room and interacts and is engaged with us as we worship. His attendance is purposeful. I would say that his attendance is powerful. Now, I would say this morning that his attendance is only powerful in your life if you allow it to be. If I, until I open my heart, until I make myself spiritually vulnerable, until I seek his truth, until I seek what he would have, until I'm willing to humble myself and yield myself to him, his power is restricted. He has all the power of the universe. But we restrict that power when we shut it off. But when we're open, the name of Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. There is power in the name Jesus. Jesus attends the assembled church. Why church? Because Jesus is here. How do you know that, Pastor? Because he promised he would be. And what he promised to do was to interact with me personally. What he promised to do was work in my life with purpose. What he's promised to do is to be powerful in my life so that I can grow and so that my life can make a difference in the lives of others. Secondly, this morning, consider that Jesus attends to the needs of the assembled church. I'm grateful this morning that all of the needs of our church are met. There are a lot of churches this morning that are struggling. There are a lot of churches that have laid off staff. There are a lot of churches that have had to shut down some of their buildings and some of their uh, ministries. And, and we uh, have had to shut down uh, some ministry uh, because of the pandemic. But for the most part, uh, most all of our ministries uh, are, are, on, are going on and they're happening. They've been modified. They've been changed. The children's things, of course, are a little slower to come back. Uh, and so, and that's for a multitude of reasons, but, uh, but for the most part, we're assembling. We're assembling Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We have a Bible Institute that's assembled on Monday night. We have uh, a recovery program that's assembled on Friday night. We have uh, multiple points and multiple avenues of service for people uh, that God has met and attended to the needs of his assembled church. I would say this morning that uh, when God meets our needs, it's not just about financial needs and just about those types of needs. But I would say the threefold thing of looking at here that first of all, Jesus tends to its guidance. The church is only a powerful entity if it's guided by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. I know a lot of people look and a lot of pastors feel as if this is my church and, uh, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm the big chief and I'm making all the decisions and calling all the shots. Listen, Jesus is the head of the church. This is not my church any more than it's your church. It's God's church. Jesus is its head. And our, and our authority is only as pertinent as our submission to the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. We forfeit authority when we don't follow Christ. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, and verse 1, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. As he, long as he followed Christ, he was to be followed. But if he stopped following Christ, then his authority was relinquished. And as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to guide us, uh, he guides us through prayer. He guides us through the speaking of the Holy Spirit to our hearts. He guides, uh, he guides us uh, through his word. Uh, that when we allow the Lord to work, he tends to our guidance. He'll guide your life. He guides the ministry of his church. He guides the development of the saints. 
He guides uh, the outreach to the lost. He guides every aspect of it. It is his will that we seek to follow. It is his will that we desire to know that we might try to execute it in his power uh, through the name of Christ. He tends to its guidance. Secondly, I would say he tends to its governance. God is the one that gave the, uh, the structure and the uh, outline of, of the home, of the church, of the requirements of leaderships within the church. And it's a shame that our country has digressed to the point uh, to where a Supreme Court nominee who I don't agree with in much of her faith, uh, but is being highly mocked and criticized this week simply because she belongs to an organization that believes in the nuclear family, that believes in traditional marriage, that believes in the biblical structure of the home uh, with the husband as the leader of the home. And of course, as uh, the pastor of the, and the deacons as the leaders of the church through the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. She believes that and that's why she's being so roundly accused and ridiculed. Listen, if you believe this morning that, that uh, in traditional marriage and the traditional family, uh, prepare to become under increasing attack by this culture. It's already happening. So watch this confirmation process this week. And what I'm saying this morning is that Jesus tends to the governance of his church. He is its governor. He gave the rules. He gave the structure. He gave the requirements. He gave all of those things are set forth now, in the word of God. Jesus tends to its governance, to its guidance. And Jesus, praise the Lord, tends to its growth. Growth as in the development of your heart and my heart, your life and my life, he tends to that. But he adds to the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. It doesn't matter what the culture is. It doesn't matter what the climate is. It doesn't matter what's going on politically. It doesn't matter whether we live in a free nation or a communist nation. It doesn't matter whether the church has to meet secretly or can meet publicly. The regardless of any of that, Jesus said, I will build my church. He is the builder of the church. I can't build it. We share the gospel. We share his truth. We, uh, we try to advance the gospel as we've been commissioned to do. It's been put into our care and our trust under his guidance and governance. He adds to the church. Any good thing that happens in your life as a result of something that's preached from this pulpit is the working of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life through his Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with whoever's standing behind the pulpit. It has everything to do with God being able to work in your life. Jesus attends to the needs of the assembled church, including its growth and its development. Thirdly, this morning, consider that Jesus attends to the mission of the assembled church. We've been given a mission. We've been put in trust of the gospel. And we do that mission a disservice when we simply go out and tell people how to be saved and baptize them. And then all of a sudden expect that they've got it all figured out and they know what to do next. A lot of time, a lot of churches, and really a lot of colleges train people that way. Uh, they're 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 minister, future ministers that way, uh, and pastors and 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 missionaries uh, that hey, go out and uh, fulfill the great commission. Go out and preach Jesus and see people saved and baptize them. But we forgot that they need to be developed. They need to be nurtured. They need to be cultivated. They need to be grown. I know a lot of pastors, some that, that lead colleges that would stand up and say that you don't need to be discipled. You get all the discipleship you need from the pulpit. Hogwash. You can't get enough Bible. We are to be making disciples of new believers. We are to be investing our lives in the lives of those who are hungry for the truth of the word of God. 
We are to be involved and engaged in the process. Listen, take a, bring home a brand new baby from the hospital, lay it in its crib, and it will die. If you don't hold it, if you don't love it, if you don't feed it, if you don't clean it, if you don't care for it, if it doesn't feel that love and that nurture, it knows that it needs something, but it doesn't understand what it needs. And a new Christian knows that they need something, but they don't fully understand what they need. Uh, and, and, and even when they understand intellectually, until it begins to make uh, changes in their heart, in their life, and in their values, it's hard to really grasp the importance of that. That doesn't happen without personal interaction. I'm, I'm so encouraged whenever someone comes in and gives their heart to Christ and they continue to be faithful to services. Praise God for that. But it's so much more encouraging when they're involved in one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two or three discipleship. They're getting questions answered. They're building relationships. They're, they're able to ask questions. They're able to grow and develop in their faith with God. Uh, and that is the responsibility and the mission of the church. And in that mission of the church, Jesus attends to the mission. I would say this morning that he ministers to those who have a hurting soul. You know, there are people that gather here on any given Sunday that have a crushed heart for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's health, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's extended family. But there are a lot of things and a lot of things that happen in life where people come in and they're just hurting. I'm glad this morning that Jesus is here to attend to the hurt. I'm glad this morning that I can with confidence know that when I gather together with God's people that, and I'm, listen, I'm, I'm equally glad that when I'm alone that I can go boldly before the throne of grace and I'm glad that I have the comforter within my heart that leads and guides. But there's just something special about coming together with God's people when Jesus is present. And he attends to the hurt in the soul. There are people that come and they give their heart to Christ because they came in hurting. They didn't even know what they were looking for. And they found Jesus. He is ministering to hurting souls this morning. Secondly, I would say that he molds the saved into his image. That when he saved us, we became a new creature in Christ. He says, old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Everything in my life should be becoming new. I should be a different person than I was. I should be becoming a different person than what I was. And if you knew someone that uh, trusted Christ years ago, and you know them 20 years down the road, obviously they should be different, but they're not finished. They're still changing. And if you look at the structure of the language in those verses, that what it literally means is to be becoming. Transformation. A constant process of development and growth in the Christian life from the moment of salvation until the moment that I walk into the presence of Christ in heaven. It never ends. It never stops. Jesus attends to molding the saved into his image. Thirdly here, I would say that he magnifies the gospel to the world. Jesus magnifies the gospel to the world. What's he doing? He's attending to the mission of the assembled church. He's taking care of those who need help and who need healing and who need growth and development. He's taking care of those that need to be trained and encouraged and brought up. And he's taking care of the gospel getting to the lost in the world through the church assembled. I cannot be or do effectively what God has me to do 
minus his church. Well, listen, I didn't create the church. Say, so, well, pastor, you just think the church is important because you're a pastor. I didn't, this isn't my idea. It was God's idea. I don't know of any human entity that gave this. I know a Savior who gave this. And if he gave it, and if he commanded it, and if he works through it, and if it's his method of exhorting and encouraging uh, and teaching and instructing me, if it's his method of us worshiping God together and having that fellowship and camaraderie as a family as we walk with Christ, if it's his method to bring us together, that he can work in our heart and that he can uh, attend to us as he attends and participates with us to growth and to development and the reaching of the world with the gospel, then who am I to stand up and say, God, there's a better way. There is no better way. How dare we be so arrogant as to say that we figured out a better way than God did. Let's just follow what the Bible says. Let's just follow the leading of the Spirit of God. And I'll close this morning by making this statement. And I'm going to make just two or three little, three or four word statements after it. The best or the worst experience that the world will have with Jesus is through his church. You look at how many people that do not want anything to do with Jesus because they had a bad experience at church. How many people that you know in your family that, that, that you can't even get them to come and visit because they had a bad experience at church? And how many of us are here because we had a wonderful experience at church? What was the difference? Maybe somebody had a bad day. Maybe the person that they interacted with was out of unity. Maybe the person that they interacted with just wasn't right with God. Wasn't in fellowship with the Lord. But when we come together right with the Lord, we come realizing that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, that Jesus Christ is the husband of the church, and that Jesus Christ is the heartbeat of the church. When Jesus is our heartbeat, the experience that the world will have will be a positive one, will be a great one. When he's lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. Let's lift him up. Lift him up. He's here. He's promised he would be. He cares about you. He's working in your life. He gave you the Holy Spirit to be his comforter. He comes and he meets with us when we assemble. And he empowers us to go out and do the work of the ministry as a church, as a family, as a force that God might be honored and exalted.